486 years ago, 486 years ago, there was a man named William Tyndale. Now, how many of you have one of these in your hands right now? How many of you brought your Bible to church today? We could be grateful for the man, William Tyndale, who helped us get the Bible in English. But hold on a second. You have to understand there's a cost, friends. William, he, he began to, to, to pass the Bible out and translate the Bible fr from, from Latin and from, uh, from and Greek, but the English, they didn't have a Bible. So the religious established uh, church at that time did not want William to do this, but he did it anyway. He started passing out Bibles to English-speaking people, and he got in all kinds of trouble, and they would imprison him. And you know what, what happened? He'd get out of prison, and he would start translating more Bibles and handing out more Bibles to the English people. He had this great conviction that the people of God should be able to read the gospel in their own native language. And aren't you glad? And so he, he, there, was a, uh, there was a fire in his heart for the things of God and the religious people around him were trying to stamp it out and stomp it out so much so that they imprisoned him and they tried him and he, they found him guilty. And they brought him in the public square and they, they started hanging him and lighting him on fire, getting him to stop printing Bible, stop writing the Bible in English. And you know what his last words that he screamed in faith? Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And then he went to be with Jesus. It was less than a decade later that King Henry VIII said that every city, every parish, every hamlet in all of England, every town must have an English Bible in it. William Tyndale was a man of God who was just trying to get this into your hands. So this means that this is sacred. That this was literally purchased with blood. And it is our absolute privilege as a church to once again read and study the Holy Bible. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I am excited as we start this Romans series. William Tyndale said this regarding Romans. It is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. Now, did he, ba he back that off? He backed that up with his life. His very life is written with that statement. And we have the privilege to go and to start our Roman series. Now, I don't know about you, but I, as the teaching pastor, I am excited about this. Are you guys excited to be studying the Bible? I want to geek out with you guys. Is that okay? I just want to just geek out. This book is considered the, the constitution of the church. It's considered the most influential book in the history of mankind. This is an exciting, some theologians call it the forge of the western psyche was, was by Romans. Literally no book has caused more controversy, stirred up more religious people than the book of Romans. It's going to get spicy. It's going to get awesome. It's going to get Spicy habanero, no, no, scratch that. Holy ghost pepper salsa, Romans is coming. 
It's the, it's, it's the longest letter in ancient history. Did you know that? So bear with me. If you're new, we're going to read a really long letter, to, but we're going to do it together. It's the most influential letter in the history of church history. In fact, if you look at every single revival and every single reformation from Wesley to Whitfield, from Huss to Luther, from Calvin to Cartwright, from Zinzendorf to Finney, all of them can trace back the fire that was birthed from the spark that was in Romans. Aren't you excited to open this book? Oh, God. Let's open it together, shall we? Let's, let's knock the dust off, people. Come on. Romans chapter 1. What a privilege. And as we open this book, I pray that the faith and spirit of Tyndale would be upon us. God, would you open our eyes as you opened the king's eyes long ago. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Chapter 1, verse 1, we can stop right there. What a statement. You've got this little man, Paul. He wasn't, the, the, the historians say he wasn't much to look at. He, they say he was short. Literally, Paul means little. So you had this little guy. Coming into the Rome, wanting, wanting to come into the Roman Empire. And, and historians say that the, the bodily presence of, of Paul was weak. Like he was little. They also say that he was a hunchback. And they also say that he had a hook nose and a unibrow. He wasn't much to look at. Maybe that's why he doesn't mention his wife. Some of you all will get that. But, you know, I think one day I'm going to have to answer all these jokes I make about Paul in heaven. But... Paul would come into the scene, this little, small, insignificant man, and he would turn cities on their heads. He would cause revivals in the cities that he went to. You know, Paul was, was uh, in a sense, he looked like Danny DeVito. <laughs> but that didn't stop him. Everywhere he went, there was a kingdom of love and trust and a revival of the Spirit of God. And he walks, he, he's walking all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Where if you don't know, like the Epistle of Romans is written to the saints in Rome. And it was like basically the capital of the ancient world. It was the military capital. Like the ancient Roman Empire, it stretched from Spain all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to Sub-Hera Africa. The Roman legions had conquered the modern world back then. It was just everything was Roman. The, the civilization was Roman. The power structures were Roman. Roman. And then there's, there's, there he is, the little hunchback Jew with a heart full of love. He walks in the middle of the town. And you know what the motto of the Roman Empire was? Caesar is Lord. Now this little guy with a heart full of love starts proclaiming and preaching that Jesus is Lord. And not only did he proclaim it, he would lay his hands on the sick and the power of God, the dynamite of God would come upon the people and they would get miraculously healed and saved and transformed. Everywhere he went there was revival. He was a living church planter. He would go to a city and plant a church. He would go to another city and plant a church. And I'm so excited that the spirit that was upon the Apostle Paul is not dead. Like, did you know that today, as we clap, as we sit, we have a church being planted in Gonzales. Because our other friend Jacob, who kind of looks like Paul, I mean, he's short, but 
he, he's a lot better looking, but he's short. But he's there. And, you know, the same spirit that was on Paul is now on Jacob. And he's planting a church in Gonzales, Texas. Isn't that incredible? It's just that we have something to celebrate. Gonzales is happening. You know, it's the one-year anniversary for Far West. Pastor Matt went and, got, went and planted at, at Far West campus just a little bit across the road. That's exciting. It's the six-year anniversary of Espanol. I, would, I don't want to try to butcher this, but seis años. Felicidades. Is that right? No, that's horrible. Okay. Sorry. Lo siento. Uh, amen. But the spirit of the church planner is not dead. The same spirit of God that came upon those ancient men like Paul and Peter and John, it comes upon us as well because it's the spirit of the living God. And so Paul is a bondservant of Jesus, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be a church planner, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Amen which he promised through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. That Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying, hello, what a way to start a letter. That Jesus is declared the Son of God by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit? That's an incredible entrance. He's like, well, you were wondering if I was here. Paul just, you know, he kicks in the door. There's no preamble. There's no, there's no warm-up. He just starts it. That Jesus is the de declared Son of the living God. That word for power is the word we get for dynamite. So there I was. I was in Colorado. And to be honest, I had the wrong idea about Colorado. I got invited to come to some speak at some men's conference many years ago. And when I thought Colorado and I thought men, they were mutually exclusive concepts. I'm just being honest. Like when I thought Colorado, I thought Subaru driving, man bun, you know, gluten-free, like veggie toast, V-neck takes pictures. Like I was not thinking a man's man thing. I was thinking I was going to have to cater my whole message to be men. And I was dead wrong. Because I didn't realize that over three, three quarters of Colorado is all country. And so I get there and these guys with tractors and boots and cowboys. And, and I'm like, oh, man, i got to write a new message. Because these guys, like they were, like we're all, I'm, I'm, on the walk-up before the conference started, they're playing tackle football. You know, they don't, they're like, what's touch? You know, like. I'll touch you. <laughs> they, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were brutes, you know. Maybe the Cowboys should do some scouting in Colorado. Oh, too soon, sorry. Uh, and so these guys, you know, one, literally one guy gets, goes across the middle and gets broken half and his bones sticking out of his leg. And I'm like, oh, no, no. And they're like, oh, it's okay, Kyle. This happens. This happens. We just take him to the hospital. And one guy took his cowboy hat and passed it around and took up an offering for him. And that was just their culture. Like, these guys were little. I was like, wow, okay. These guys are powerful. These guys, this is crazy. And then, and then like, their event was this. Like, the, how they started off the whole event, everybody got in a room. And they're like, all right, we got 100 bucks. The last person that has their sock on is the winner. Pandemonium. 
Guys just started hitting each other, tearing each other's shoes and socks off. And it was like the one guy at the very end, it's like this blender of fighting and men. Until one guy had this, he pulls the sock off the last remaining guy. And they just screamed and hollered. And it was like this moment. I was like, man, I got to, these guys are powerful. This is, this is something. And out comes the panda. I'm like, what is that? And out, this guy pops open his trunk. And I'm like, what is that? And it was Tannerite. You know what Tannerite is? It's agricultural dynamite that you can buy from a store. And I was like, and they bought out every store in 100 miles. I'm surprised the FBI is not there. And they start packing this panda full of dynamite. And they put it on a hill, and all the guys are there, and they're talking about it. And they're like, oh, we're going to blow up this panda. It's going to be awesome. And so then they're like, let's go get some Red Bulls because that's, you know, that's, that's just what they were doing. And, and so they go and get Red Bulls, and they're so excited about it, they tell the clerk. The clerk leaves his job, gets in the car to go with the guys. <laughs> then they give the clerk the high-powered rifle, and they go, okay, now shoot the panda. When this happened... You see, like, uh, and by now the group had swelled to like 150 men. The panda just explodes in this enormous explosion. A couple of guys are knocked on their butt. Everyone is laughing and screaming in this excitement. And it was at that moment I knew what dynamite is. The Bible here in Romans describes the power of God, what Jesus offers as dynamite. It's dynamite. When dynamite goes off in your life, it is the power of God. Everyone is going to know. It's going to be this chaos of love and agape, and it's going to be this transformation of moral character. What you used to do, you now hate. What you, didn't, what, what, what you used to not be able to stop doing, now you run from. You have a new standard, a, a, new, a new morality. You have life inside of you. You're actually happy. You're actually blessed. You're good. You have to understand, that's the gospel. The greatest threat in America is false conversion. It, it's not, it's not the, you know, the big tech keeping us down. The greatest threat to America is false conversion. People have a form of godliness, but they deny, or the, they deny the dynamite. They deny the power of, of it. That's the danger is people have, people have a form and they say, well, I had that. I tried that. I raised my hand. I did this. But they never got to genuine new birth where the power of God erupts in your heart and your heart is filled with love and you're transformed from the inside out. And that's what happened with Paul. He was someone who was breathing out death threats to the early church. Now he becomes to be this zealous, fiery apostle for the Lord. Radical transformation. Dynamite in his heart. And you know when dynamite goes off. You know, your neighbors know, the cats know, everybody knows. And that's the thing. If salvation has taken place, you people in your life are going to say something. I remember they go, oh, you're different. What happened to you? You're weird. Did you get brainwashed? I was like, my brains were dirty. They needed washing. Like, like you got to get, you got to get have that moment. You got to have that radical transformation. I just see people and they're like, oh, I, I accepted the Lord 27 years ago. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, you didn't. You accepted a form of godliness. 
But there should be that power, that transformative power. And you'll know that if you even right now, if I'm talking, you're like, I wonder if I have. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is, and it's not bad because you can. Whomsoever will, let him come. That's the thing. It, it is a power that Paul is talking about. And every place that Paul went, he, was not, he, was, he didn't have to worry about circumstance. Hello, Christians like, oh, the world's getting me down. Oh, no, 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 the power of God changes the world. The world doesn't change you. You change the world. And so and, and, but people live that way. They're like, oh, you know, and the, and the devil's getting me down. And like, no, 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 no. By the gospel, Jesus has disarmed all powers and principalities and made them a public spectacle. You have to understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And guess what? I'm not ashamed of it. As Paul says, I am not ashamed of it because it's the dynamite of God. And what we need more is more dynamite. We need more dynamite. We do. That's the only answer. These bricks, of, these, these bricks that are assaulting the church, these, these things that are constantly coming against us, woke ideologies and all the isms and schisms and divisions of men, we have humanism creeping in. The power of God is not worried about any of that. But light the fuse. Light the fuse of loving obedience and let God do a work in your heart as he did in William Tyndale's. Oh, I got fired up. All right, all right. It's the power of God to everyone who believes, whether Jew or Gentile. And, you know, that's the whole point. Paul wrote this letter. He never even been to Rome, but he wanted to make sure they were okay. Yeah, this fiery apostle, and he wants one thing for the church of Rome, and that's unity. Because the history here is this. The church started as a Jewish church, but then the Jews were exiled out by the emperor. And then all of a sudden, there began to be a, a new crop of leaders, but they were Gentiles. They were Romans. But then a new emperor came in power, and he said, let the Jews come back. So now there's like this thing. It started off Jewish, but now there's Gentiles, and now there's Jewish. And, and it's like this huge recipe for disaster because the Jews, they want to follow Christ, but they still want to keep Sabbath. And, and then the Gentiles are like, I don't even know what the Sabbath is. I had bacon, lettuce, tomato for lunch. Like there's this huge conflict here. And then Paul, as an apostle, is saying, hey, unity. The whole purpose of the epistle of Romans was written that there be unity in the church. And unity in the church happens when everybody has dynamite. When everybody has the love of God shed abroad in their heart by the Holy Ghost. That's chapter 5. We'll get there. Please keep coming, keep joining with us every week. But unity. And it's a great unfortunate thing that throughout church history, certain men have taken small sections of Romans and it's caused great division within the church. The whole purpose of the epistle was unity. not, And it's meant to be read in its entirety. So we're going to stay here for eight hours, amen? amen. Just kidding. Y'all calm down. Amen. But don't let small sections cause disunity in the church. Amen? amen? Amen. That's our heart as leaders of the church is that this would be for unity. The just shall live by faith. What an incredible statement that Paul gets here in chapter 1. Now, before we continue, I got a question. It's going to get spicy. It's going to get controversial. We're going to touch on sexual identity issues. We're going to touch on homosexuality. We're going to touch on idolatry. We're going to touch on fornication, covetousness, maliciousness, all the isses, usses, and uses. It's all coming out. Do you want me to use these? Are you sure you don't want me to cut out sections? 
Because you have a question, of, you have a question right now. Am I going to hop over the controversial parts or am I going to preach the full counsel of the word of God? Because I have found this, I have found this. Either culture will changes the word or word changes the culture. It's one of the two. It's either one of the two. It's, not, it's that or that. You have to decide where your household is going and what kind of church that you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're going to read the whole counsel of the scriptures. So we're not going to skip over the parts that make us uncomfortable. The scriptures are meant to make us uncomfortable. They're meant to make us look like Jesus. Okay. So let's start. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because although they knew God, of what be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that men are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. We'll stop right there. This is an incredible statement. Paul is starting off and he's talking about that man has these two great witnesses, creation and conscience. That is a, and how many times you start evangelizing, the first question that always comes up, people go, oh, what about the people who don't know? Instantaneously, you start telling people about Jesus, they start talking about what about people who never heard the gospel? What about people who don't know? It's the number one question that people have prior to conversion. And Paul answers it in the first chapter of Romans. It says that there's creation. Creation testifies to every tribe, tongue, and people. Creation testifies the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And there is not a people under the heavens that their speech is not heard. Think about it. Think about the mountains. Think about the ocean, the majesty of creation. Think about, have you ever seen the uh, blue planet or planet earth? You ever seen those things? Those things inspire me to worship. When I consider the mountains, when I consider the heavens, when I consider the trees, what is man that you are mindful of him? When I consider the forests, the beasts, and the trees, what is man that you are mindful of him? Creation testifies to the power and truth of God. Creation is a majestic thing. But as mighty and, and, and magnanimous as it is on that macro level, yet God comes down to this still, small voice on the inner witness inside. When it's just you alone in the dark, he's there. Although he holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand, he can yet come on the quietest, smallest moment that inner witness, that inner testimony. Every one of us has a conscience. The two great witnesses of God are creation and conscience. And there's not a people group, there is not a person who has not seen and heard of this revelation so that men are without excuse. That creation and conscience are the two first great evangelists. But if we're honest... And the first step towards God is honesty. It's our conscience will tell us something is terribly wrong. And if we, how we respond to that truth, to that great revelation, do we reach or do we resist? 
pretty soon we're going to go through the consequences of resisting the truth. Paul says here that they, not, it's not that they don't know the truth, it's that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And you, when, when, when a man does that, when a sinful person does that and they resist the light that they have been revealed, whether it's creation or whether it's conscience, they open themselves up to something other than God and, and therefore you have idolatry. And idolatry is when anything other than God has the throne and power over your life. It's, 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 it's where God is not the God of your life. And if God is not the God of your life, then you choose a lesser God, which is usually a messed up, ugly projection of yourself. You see, man is made in the image of God. But the great danger is that man makes his God in his own image. And that's why we desperately need the scriptures. And more importantly, that's why we desperately look to Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the revelation of God for us, to have an accurate understanding and picture of who God is. But creation and conscience are the two witnesses. Let's read. All right. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Did you catch that? We're about to list a whole bunch of horrible, horrible sins. And it all starts with ingratitude. That's why thanks, thankfulness is the greatest, greatest weapon I can give you today. Gratitude is the attitude of heaven. And gratitude will keep your heart. It'll keep bitterness out of your heart. It'll keep offense out of your heart. It'll keep you in church. It'll keep you serving Jesus. Gratitude is the way that we combat the darkness. The world is not thankful. The devil never once gives thanks. But we shall be a grateful people. And then it's in a heart of thanksgiving and praise that we're able to continue and hear the wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. They were not thankful and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image and made corruptible man like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They took the glory of God and they started saying that, that God is, is, is an animal. God's a creeping thing. God, God is a beast. God is a beetle. God is, a, God is the sky. God is the mountain. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Underline dishonor. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped this and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use for a man burned in their lusts for one another, committing acts which are shameful and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Now, you sure you don't want me to use these? Just making sure. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, but I want to stop right there. Notice it was dishonor. Notice how it happened. It was through dishonor. They dishonored themselves. And this is the principle I've learned. 
When you dishonor yourself, you're always desperate for honor. You need honor. If you dishonor yourself, you need honor from other people. That means it's not, it's not just leave me alone and let me do my thing. No, no, no. You have to honor me. You have to celebrate me. You have, you have to honor what I like. That's because they've dishonored themselves. It's a dead giveaway if dishonor. You're always needing the honor of another. And they did not retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And now the great consequence of idolatry, the great consequence of not living in truth and following after God, they're filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality, wickedness and covetousness, maliciousness. They're full of envy, murder and strife deceitfulness, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undeserving, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do the same, but they approve of those who practice them. That's where it gets us, America. Do you approve of such things? Paul says it's not that you just do them. Do you approve of it? It's very dangerous what you approve of. I'll, I'll go so far. It's very dangerous what you tolerate. I have found... That what you tolerate, the next generation celebrates. What you tolerate, the next generation celebrates. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not after one particular group of people. I'm seeing a whole list of consequences of idolatry. And so the answer to idolatry is what? Remember that little hunchback Jew who comes into the city and says, Jesus is Lord. The only answer to idolatry is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if anybody has any idea of who is more qualified to be the Lord of your life than Jesus, speak now. Or forever hold your peace. Because Jesus is the most qualified to be the Lord over your life. He's the most wise. He's the most virtuous. He's, he has the greatest character. He said, let the little children come to me. But he has all power over all darkness and demons. He says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And yet, he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. He sees a woman caught in adultery and idolatry. Ultimately, he says, I don't condemn you either. But then he says, go and sin no more. Oh, the moral authority of Jesus, the great king, who has the right, and that's how Paul preached him, as Lord, as Lord and Master. Our culture is in great, great trouble. Our culture is in, on a sinking ship of idolatry. And the only answer 
is the great truth that Jesus is the Lord of heaven. We're going to do something as a church. It's exciting, but we're going to do something called a declaration. Can you stand with me? You know, we've, we've covered a lot of, of topics. We've covered creation. We've covered conscience. We've covered that man is guilty under, the, under those. And yet we know that, that God became a man and dwelt among us. And it was through this gospel, through this knowledge, and through this empty tomb that Jesus rose from the dead, that he offers us eternal life. And I want us to go back to Romans chapter 1 because we're going to make a declaration, which is like a public statement. It's a public uh, declarative action, and we're going to tell everyone that Jesus is the Son of God because that is the heart of the gospel. I'll just read it, read it again for you. That concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and has been declared to be the Son of God with power, with dynamite, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Very simply, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he is now the Son of God. He is declared to be the Son of God. He rose from the dead. That's God's stamp of approval and amen over who he is. If you have a question on whether and who is Jesus, look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the ultimate validation that he is the son of the living God. And we're going to do something as a church. Now, usually as a church during an altar call, we want you to, to say, I want to be saved or I want to repent or I need to be baptized. But this is for everybody. Everybody who names the name of Jesus today, you're going to publicly declare that Jesus is the son of God. Are you ready? So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is. He is risen. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is risen. 